morning on the subject of doubt. Now there's a lot of in that, and I'm sure I'm just barely going to crease uh, all that the Bible has to say about doubt, but I just want to put that out there because a lot of times the people at the coming this time of year, the devil just really jumps on everybody um, in this ending of the year type seasons and Christmas time and New Year's and everything to pummel them with so much doubt. I want to say this too, I say it every year, that you know that the suicide rate in America at Christmas is the highest it is any other time of the year. So if you're pummeled with doubt or you have difficulties or different thoughts go through your mind that you think uh, it's not worth the effort or however the devil presents it to you, before you do anything stupid, give me a call. Call somebody and let them know you're interested in seeing what God has for you in your life until he does call us home. Let's let him call us home. Let's don't make a shortcut and, and say we can do it ourselves. I didn't know if you know it or not, but I think in, I thought they, I heard seven states now, there is legal assisted suicide. They do have a pill that doctors will give you. You go home and take it, and then you call the undertaker because uh, that's uh, the way some people choose to end their life. But life is given by God, and you're supposed to be here till he says it's over. So be careful how you work those situations, even though uh, you may think it's best for your family or best for your situation. Uh, let's let God have his way. And if you have to linger here on this earth for a week or two longer than you want to be, well, compared to eternity, that's a, that's a blimp on the screen. It means nothing. Amen? When reality, I'm in my mid-70s, and my life seems like it's just a blimp on the screen when I compare it to eternity. So I want to do it God's way. Let's do it His way. If you have an issue or something comes up, make sure you touch base with somebody and get it resolved before it ends in something worse than it could have been. All right. Turn in your Bibles to James, the first chapter, and we'll look at God in prayer while you're looking to the Scriptures. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity we have as you uh, called us to preach your word, to stand behind the sacred desk, open your eternal word and look into it for the things that, Father, will make us stronger or better or more what you'd have us to be. So bless, we pray, this hour. May the word of God go forth. May the Holy Spirit anoint it so that when it hits the ears and minds of the listeners that they have a grip on what the Holy Spirit is saying to their heart. So guide us this hour, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. I want to read to you from James, the first chapter. I'm going to start in verse number two. It says, my brethren, that's all of us, we're all brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptation. Isn't that what you do? When temptation comes along, you just say, oh, whoopee. Oh, goody, goody, I got troubles and trials. No, that's usually not the normal pattern. Usually, most of us feel sorry for ourselves, say, woe is me, I've got problems. They don't count it all joy when they go through temptations. But he gives a reason why you should do that. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, 
that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now that word perfect doesn't mean you won't never make another mistake. It's an aging process. You're maturing when you are being perfected. You're maturing into what God wants you to be. Verse 5 says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, and that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, not wavering, for he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, driven of the wind, and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Now, I just read that and told you I want to talk about doubt, and the word doubt doesn't even appear in that scripture that I just read to you. But all of us, from time to time, have uh, doubt in our minds in one form or another. The reason that our doubt is that we are surrounded by a world that uh, cannot seem to be able to balance the things that we need to have balanced in our lives. And he says in, again in verse 2, we need to balance our joy and our temptation. Amen? The second thing he says in verse number 3, we need to balance our faith and our patience. Amen? So we need to work on those things so that we can be, if you would, in the will that God has for us in his word. Now, as, as James puts his letter together for the church to read and use uh, the wisdom found in this letter, he's well aware of the dangers of doubt. Now, he doesn't use that word, but he does go on to say that he, we need to come to grips with it. When doubt finds a resting place in your heart and mind, it can cause you to stray from the principles that God desires for you to use to build your faith upon and, and in everyday personal walk with Christ be the child of God he wants you to be. It's a personal walk that we all have to have our hand in his hand daily. Amen? We call it salvation. And it's where God can talk to us. We can talk to God. We can share our burdens with God. God can bless us and use us and give us the words to stand and speak when we're called to stand and speak. Amen? But what is doubt? Well, doubt is what the devil uses to drive a wedge between what we know is true and the belief that we don't know everything that God has for us to grow and to walk in the daily walk we have with God. Doubt is what causes us to stop from time to time and look around when God says, keep moving forward. In the Bible, we can read of many people of faith. And uh, of course, you go to Hebrews 11th chapter, that whole chapter is designated to a partial list of Old Testament patriarchs that displayed their faith only because they trusted and believed in God and that God was leading them on the path that they should be on to do God's will. And for them at that time in their lives, they had to demonstrate that great amount of faith. So Hebrews writer 
took time to call them out, list them, and let us know how God used them. And of course, we know the Word of God says that um, God is not a respecter of persons. So if God could use David or Moses, why can't he use us? Amen? Amen. We just have to go along with it. Amen. And yet I can also go in each one of those persons' lives. Because I believe the Bible is an open book, if you would, so to speak, and it's balanced. Amen? When they did good, they did go into chapter 11 of Hebrews. When they did bad, oh, that's not recorded in chapter 11 of Hebrews, but it's recorded in the Bible. You can talk about Abraham. You know, and he, that's what Hebrews 11 starts with. Abraham, how faithful he was to God. Yet, Abraham, he became a liar. He lied about his wife, said, that's my sister. Why? Well, I'm not going to get into the whole story there, but he was afraid they would kill him because she was so pretty. I understand that. Those of us with pretty wives understand that. And we want to say that they're our sister so they won't kill us so they can take our wife away from us. See, that's the way it works. Amen. Moses had more excuses why he should not lead God's people out of Egypt than you could shake a stick at. And yet God just kept saying, well, you be quiet for a minute. Quit doubting so much. I chose you, and I'm going to help you. Well, I can't speak. Well, then take Aaron. Let him speak for you. Do what I, We'll get past this. Amen? All those doubts have to go. And on it goes with David and Solomon and right on through the Old Testament of those people. And at that time, a doubt caused all of them to stumble in one way or another. And yet, they're still listed in, the, if you would, the Hebrew chapter 11 Hall of Fame of faith for the people that uh, wanted to be where God could use them. Now, as we read about these people and understand their uncertainty in their issues they faced and realize doubt is what played a role in their decision-making process. But if we're going to grow spiritually with God, we must understand that the devil and the world are doing their job when they get us to doubt the great things that we can do for God when we allow the two witnesses, who are they? The word of God and the spirit of God. If we allow the two witnesses to work in our lives and lead us on the path forward, we can get the work God has called us to do. Because I tell you right now, doubt is a dream crusher. Doubt will stop you in your tracks even when you know where God would have you to go. Amen? All of us have at one time or another had to face the fact that doubt is something that's going to give us issues in our life and we need to put them behind us and trust the Word of God and the Spirit of God to lead us where God wants us to go. But here in our text... James, like I said, doesn't even use the word doubt. What word does he use that makes it fit the category we're looking at? Well, in verse number 6, he says, uh, uh, let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. He uses the word wavering and wavereth, uh, and they both mean doubt. That's what those words would mean if you would boil them down and search them out. Amen? So that's what we get to when we read about wavering, and then he compares it to just like the ocean. Amen? 
Now, how's the ocean? Well, it's always got these waves that come up and down and going, and uh, sometimes they can get pretty violent. They can even knock the teeth right out of your head if you don't watch it. They will take your false teeth and give them to a shark somewhere. I can tell you that from personal experience. But we need to understand that what causes those waves? Well, it's the moon's gravitational pull, they tell us. It's the wind. I have been there in the ocean. On I go to Myrtle Beach once a year or thereabouts with my family for a few days just to get alone with the, the Evans clan. We go down and tear up Myrtle Beach. And it takes a year for those folks to get over the fact that we were even there. But I've been in the ocean when the waves came in just like any other time, but they were just gentle, nice, and easy. And we'd get out there and just bounce up and down and enjoy the nice warm water in the ocean. And then I've been in there where every wave that came in done its best to drag me out and, and do its best to crush. Well, what happens? Why does it change? The wind's not that much different from one time to another, but the wind could be in a storm miles out, stirring up an issue. We went oh, down one year. They said a hurricane went through. We just sat there and watched. It got a little bit of rain. I didn't know. I've never been through any hurricanes to speak of. But they said it was two miles out. Well, two miles, I guess, is a long way for the wind to blow. But it sure did stir up the waves. And man, we couldn't hardly get in the ocean that particular year. There are always things that want to stir up trouble. Amen? Now, we're talking here about waves in the ocean and the trouble that it can stir up, but just think in your own life. How many things come along to stir up trouble in your life? See, uh, doubt can sow the seeds that can be disruptive to your spiritual walk with God. But on the other hand, doubt is a good safeguard to the seeds of the devil that wants you to believe and they would hinder the growth God has for you. So even in the bad times we think when doubt's overwhelming us, sometimes we need to use doubt to say, I doubt, but what I'm hearing is the truth. Amen? Has anybody ever said to you, um, it sounds too good to be true? Huh, did you examine it and find, yep, sounds good, but I'm not going down that road. Amen? So if it sounds too good to be true, it's probably not true. So we need to examine that. That's why advertisers spend so much money to put something in front of you on your television set that promise to take care of issues that you need have to take care of in your life. Amen? And just all you got to do is call that number at the bottom of the screen and have your credit card ready. They'll take care of every problem you got. You can't sleep, they got a pill. Just call that number. Amen, you don't have the energy you used to have? There's a pill, call that number. That'll solve all your problems. Well, uh, I kind of doubt those things because uh, Bonnie convinced me to try some of them and they didn't work and we actually even got our money back and sent the product back to them and at least they come with a guarantee. So. Uh, they were good to their guarantee, even if they didn't work. Amen? You think your memory's fading? Can't remember like you used to? They got a pill for that. Amen. Oh, you got it? Amen. How many of you are on Prevagen? Oh, no, never mind. All right. 
Nonetheless, there are people that have whatever doubts come along, they've got a pill to answer that problem. Amen. Even though doctors nowadays, now I love the doctors. I think they're doing the best they can. But sometimes they're just guessing. You know? They see the stats and the statistics that your blood work says, and they say, oh, this is what you need. Uh, take you two of these and come back and see me in, in six weeks. Well, you go back in six weeks and you might be better, you might be worse, and, and maybe the pills didn't do anything, but you just naturally got better. I don't know, but I'm going to give uh, all the credit that I can give to the doctors because they've studied long enough and hard enough, and they've got the, the student loans to prove that they were there and they're still paying for them. Uh, so I understand there's a lot going in to being a doctor, which I wouldn't want to do. I don't want to hear everybody's problems. That's why I don't want to be a doctor. Because I could tell them what to do with their problems and it wouldn't take me as long and I wouldn't have charged near as much. But that's, that's another subject. Amen. So even the doctors, if you want to say, sometimes they even have doubts. Because I know Bonnie has went to the doctor for an issue she's got and he gave her this prescription and it made her worse or give her other side effects. So she goes back to the doctor, he said, well, let's change and go this direction. And now, I don't know, I guess they're just heads this time. You're gonna go that way. You know, I don't know if the doctor does that or what he does. And I, I'm not throwing off on them, but uh, it's really not sometimes an exact science. And I know Bonnie. And the pill that works for you may not work for her. Amen, I know her. It takes more than a pill to straighten that one out. <laughs> Amen. All right. Sometimes we just focus too much on the flesh and look for instant gratification. And our vision with God can develop doubt when we're thinking, oh, all I got to do is this and everything's going to be peaches and cream and it don't work out that way, and then we start to doubt God. Well, we need to go back to the drawing board and go back just like James says, and if you need wisdom, pray about it, ask, but do it in faith. Amen? That makes the difference. If you do it in faith, then you don't have to worry about the results that come because the results is not based on your prayer. It's based on how God wants to use your faith in your life. Amen? So um, we can be as strong in our faith as we want to be, and you can even question the existence of God from time to time. But all you need to do is lift your eyes and look at the reality around us, and that doubt has no basis. Amen? Everywhere I look, I see God. I, I just got to tell you, everywhere I look in nature, in the trees, in the animals, I see the handiwork of God working in all those things. And yet, uh, doubt still wants to try to work against me in all my thoughts towards the things God wants me to be for him. Yep, even the pastor from time to time doubts some of the things that are happening around him. James says doubts are as sure as the waves of the sea. We know what causes them. James says there are winds and tossed. Amen. I always like to, to watch the ocean when it's seemingly as still as it can be and just throw a rock in it. 
and it ripples all as far as it'll ripple. It just goes on and on. Well, what causes the waves in our life? Well, it's the same winds that the devil and the world want to blow in our life to stir up whatever's in us that's not locked down or not secure, and it causes turmoil. Along with the way we're tossed in response to all those things going on around us, we respond to them, and a lot of times, in doubt. We think it'd be great if we never had any waves in our lifetime. Wouldn't that just be great if everything was always perfect? Peaches and cream, just as smooth as could be? Well, we know that's not going to work, but without the waves in our life, we wouldn't be able to grow any stronger than we were when God met us at salvation in the beginning. We need to stand up for those things that toss our lives around and so that we can become stronger. You know how, root, how the roots of a tree know how deep to grow? By how much wind that tree faces in its lifetime. The more that wind blows that tree back and forth, the more that tree needs to put roots down into the ground. Well, think of that the next time the devil starts blowing your way and starts tossing you to and fro. Just think, well, that's the way the devil works, but I need to satisfy my life by putting my roots deeper in the things of God. Amen? So everything we need, God will supply if we don't doubt him. Faith is the key to our success. And God has to... Uh, talk to us and let us see that doubt is the avenue that the devil uses us to get uh, to turn our backs, if you would, or not be where God wants us to be in our faith. I think and I believe Jesus or James would agree with me. Wisdom is what we need to operate our lives in God's will. That's what he said we need to pray for. If you lack wisdom, he said to pray for it. Verse number five. So if his wisdom is part of the answer, and we all need to ask God for that wisdom, do it without doubting, knowing that God will supply the wisdom you need for the next step of your life and try to get us uh, to uh, do different things in our lives because there actually is no shortcut for wisdom. Amen? Amen? I, I, our neighbors, we go out to eat with them on occasion. Uh, it's usually something we do monthly, uh, a couple of neighbors. And every time it's my turn to drive or their turn to drive, I always say, well, let me show you a shortcut. Well, undoubtedly, every time we show, I tell them a shortcut, we get caught by a train. <laughs> There's a traffic accident. There's something, and it usually ends up costing us more time than if we went the other way. Now, as a Sears repairman that drove eight hours a day, seemingly, to get to different people's homes all over the country, I tried my best to learn all the roads and all the traffic lights and avoid all the traffic lights I could. So I learned a lot of shortcuts that avoids all the traffic lights, but I forgot to plan on the trains and everything else that can come along. We go to Hamilton, and then every time we take the shortcut, we get caught by CXX. Oh, here we are trying to save time or make time or however you want to phrase it or get there as quick as possible and it takes us longer in the long run. 
Well, it's not because I doubted the way to get there. It's because circumstances can even raise its ugly head even when we're trying to do what we know we should be doing that's right. But doubt will step up and even uh, get us to shortcut our wisdom. You think, well, I don't have to really pray about this situation. I know what God wants me to do there. That's a surefire way for the devil to step up and put a train crossing in your life at that particular point. Amen? Don't try the shortcuts because they usually don't work out. We can do it our way if we want to, and it might work out sometimes okay. But meanwhile, God is just uh, waiting on us to ask for the things we need to be what we should be for him. Amen? When you see the devil's shortcuts, it sets us up for what James calls being a double-minded man. He uses that term in verse number 8. We all have had to deal with a double-minded person. You ever met a double-minded person? Well, whatever your mind can take in as far as being double-minded, or you can read your own interpretation into what you think James was writing when he said that. But in a, in a double-minded person, that's someone that can't seem to make up their mind on what is the right thing to do, and they just draw straws as to what they think could be. In our world, money seems to be the main motivator of most people. Did you know that? I've told Bonnie, if you see a problem, follow the money, and it'll show you where that problem started. Amen? Just follow the money. It'll point you right to where you need to go there. When you can't understand why some people say or do the things they do, just follow the money. Amen? All right. I know you know what I'm talking about because most of you uh, also uh, know lawyers and politicians. Amen? Is it any wonder why those guys have such a negative attitude or impulse in our thinking? Amen? It's because a good lawyer or a good politician, to me, is the best definition of a double-minded person. Because you can mention a subject, and they can argue for both sides of it. Hmm. Say what you want. Tax is too high? Well, there's a politician who will tell you, oh, that's a good thing. And then there's a politician who can get on the other side up and say, ah, oh, that's a bad thing. You know? It's the same way in, uh, uh, with lawyers. They get a, a client that knows he's guilty as can be. All the evidence proves it. And they stand up there and argue for hours in front of a judge say, oh, you just misunderstood my client. He's really a nice guy. Yeah, he's got a rap sheet this long, 30 felonies, and uh, it's a wonder he's able to even walk in society, and yet that lawyer will stand up and tell you what a fine person he is. Well, I understand. They all have a job to do, but what it does it sows doubt in our minds to somebody that can take on an issue and give a double-minded opinion of it. Amen? I only want to have one mind, and I want it to be the mind of Christ in my life. Amen? I want to, I want to convince you that I know what's best interest in your heart and what's really right for you, and I'm not going to worry about whether it's the right thing for your checkbook or not. I'm going to tell you what's right for you to do to be right with God. Amen? While they pat you on the back with one hand, they got the other hand in your back pocket. Amen? 
You got to be careful of those kind of people. God's not uh, that way. God wants you to understand that he loves you and he wants to be everything you need for him to be. And he doesn't even need any of your money. Did you know that? He don't need your money. Huh. God has everything he needs. Always has had. Now, does he teach tithing? Well, he does. And what is that for? That's to keep you from being greedy. That's from you keep you from being selfish. One of the quickest things that will take you out of the walk of faith with God is selfishness. Did you know that? Do you know that? that yeah, I believe that. And I believe the, the thing that causes most divorces is selfishness. Huh. Well, what do you know about that? Well, that's what statistics tell us, and I believe them. And it's because they're double-minded, and they think everything belongs to them, and it's nobody else's business what they do. God's only interested in what's best for you. And he's willing to fulfill those needs if you're only willing to trust him by faith in the things that he makes you uh, to complete, to be complete in him. Now, we are in the Christian Christmas season. And we all have hopes set on what's going to be in box number one or box number two under that Christmas tree. Amen. Just like the price is right. Do you want box number one or box number two? Or a thousand dollars? Well, if he offers you a thousand dollars, that means whatever's in those boxes is probably worth three times that or more. Amen. But the reality is the blessings of the season is the ability to give not the ability to receive. Amen? We need to be more focused on doing what God wants us to do without doubt and be the things God wants us to be. Can I tell you something? I'm done Christmas shopping. How about that? And I haven't done any yet. Well... <laughs> But when, I, when I know somebody has a need, I'm not going to wait till Christmas. To, four more weeks and you can have it. That's a tease. They need it. They need it now. I'm going to see to it that if I can, to help them get some help they need. That's just the way I like to operate. Amen? Sometimes we're afraid to give because of the cost. But the greatest gifts that we can give don't cost us anything. Huh. You can show somebody you love them and don't cost you a dime. That's right. huh. You can show that you care. Huh. That don't cost nothing. You can give them a smile. Amen. Amen. Especially if you got false teeth. You don't even have to worry about going to the dentist. Amen. Just make sure they don't fall out. Amen. You can fist bump or handshake and be sincere about it. Amen. The person that you shake hands with or hug or uh, fist bump with don't have to say, oh, what's he up to now? Huh? Well, there's people in the world that that's the attitude they have. You treat them nice and they wonder, what's his angle? What's he looking for? Huh? We as Christians don't need to do that. Just a simple phone call sometimes can do the trick. Amen. You hear somebody's going through a rough time, just call them. Let them know you care about them. You're praying for them. Amen? 
I don't know how many people I've called and just say, I'm gonna, I want to pray with you or I'm going to be praying for you. And they tell me later, that made their day. Huh. Well, how about that? Well, God made their day. Because what I have to say to them probably is not going to change their life at all. But if I can get their attitude off of their problems and onto the things of God, the doubts then kind of melt away and the Holy Spirit can move in and have help for them when they need it. If somebody needs a helping hand, pitch in. Amen. You ever pull up alongside somebody with their four-way flashers on on the side of the road? Huh? A little lady out in the rain standing there with uh, soaking wet and offer them a ride or offer to help them or offer to do whatever you can for them. Um, they, they appreciate that. Amen? It probably didn't cost you anything but a little bit of time, a little bit of effort. For me, I found that what comes around goes around. Amen? It just seems to work that way. Every time I think I'm going out of my way to do somebody a favor, it's not long till that favor comes back to me. Amen? Whether I want it or not, it just seems to work out that way. Amen? So if I treat others the way I want to be treated, I think that's something in the Bible about that called the golden rule. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Well, that's what Jesus said we need to do and not do it in a doubtful way, but do it with a jubilant heart or happiness in your spirit. And James says to count it all joy when you go through these things. Amen. Now, it's not fun to get out in the rain to help somebody with a flat tire, but it sure is nice, and that they sure appreciate what you're doing to help them through those situations. Amen? But even with all that, doubt wants to creep in. I think of Jesus' own disciples. They listened to him. They did what he said. They went where he told them to go. Seems like they were just basically just on the path of everything being perfect. And yet, when he went to the cross, here come the doubts. Amen. Uh, after Jesus appears in the room with them, uh, some even then doubted. Thomas, in John 20th chapter, let me read this to you about Thomas. We all call him Doubting Thomas. Um, I don't know whether he deserves that name or not, but he at this point did, and I think he, uh, from there, see, uh, you can, some people can get a name for something they did once or twice, and for the rest of their life, their nickname is whatever they did. Here it says in verse 24, but Thomas, one of the 12, called Didymus, that means twin, was not with them when Jesus came. That's says in the upper room and Jesus appeared after his resurrection. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We've seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger in the print of, those, of the nails and thrust my hand in his side, I will not believe. That sounds like doubt to me. I think that would be a pretty good definition of doubt, wouldn't it? Well... Guess what? Eight days later, verse 26 says, Again, his disciples were within, and Thomas was with them this time. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then said he to Thomas, 
Huh, he made a special trip back to the upper room when Thomas happened to be there this time. Thomas, reach thither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach thither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. I think his doubt was gone. Now it took a physical hand in the finger and a hand in whatever it took, Christ will provide it. He doesn't want you to live in doubt when believing would even be easier. Now there was 10 other people in that room that saw Jesus the first time he went and he didn't believe none of the 10 of them. None of them. I'm sure Peter did his best to convince him. And so did Mark. And so did Thaddeus. All of them probably said, man, you missed out, brother. And he probably thought they was just jerking his chain, trying to say, uh-huh, you wasn't here. Jesus came. Now you missed him. Uh-huh, you're probably going to hell now. Right? No. They just said, we're not trying to fool you. But he didn't believe until Jesus said, huh, come here, let me show you something. Until I put my finger in Jesus' nail prints, I'm going to doubt that he's even alive. And once Jesus confronted Thomas with reality, doubt disappeared. And the testimony changed. Amen? It went from you guys are nuts to my Lord and my God. Amen? Amen? What a short message from Jesus was uh, not to be faithless, but to believe. And he turned Thomas's doubt into true belief in what Jesus Christ could do in his life. Let me say this in closing. There's a vast difference between doubt and disbelief. Doubt leaves you open to change your mind or your opinion on a subject. But disbelief closes the door. You won't even consider it. Your doubt will then grow into a hard, calloused something in your life and become disbelief that there's no one else that can help you at that point and no one else can get you to be what you need to be for God. Disbelief closes your mind and your heart to what God may be trying to open your eyes to. Doubt is questioning and examining the facts for the purpose of finding the truth. The difference is the consequences as the results of where you stop in your walk with God. God shows you need God or I'm sorry, doubt shows you need God. But disbelief shows your trust in yourself. The way to make progress with God is to make your doubts short and seek the truth that God has for you. Even John the Baptist in his ministry, as great a ministry as he had, amen. John the Baptist had everybody in Jerusalem going out into the wilderness to the Dead Sea to be baptized. Did you know that? The scripture said all of Jerusalem. I don't know how many people lived in Jerusalem, but they all went because of what? The great testimony of everybody 
that had listened to John and was baptized in the Dead Sea. Amen? They went out praising God for how good he was. Even John, in his sure ministry as he had, as convincing as God was to him, that he was to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And he even met Christ and baptized Jesus Christ. And all that, the dove came out of the sky and landed on him. Amen. Now I realize it wasn't probably a feathered friend or it may have been a physical feathered friend. But the, what it, nonetheless, it was the spirit that came and John recognized it. But later in John's life, because he had opportunity to stand up for God and say to Herod, what you're doing is not right. You shouldn't be having an affair with your brother's wife. Amen? Would you do that? Would you stand up for God under the... Well, he did. But what did it cost him? He got put in prison. And actually, it didn't even cost him getting his head cut off. He knew that while he was in prison that he probably would never see freedom again or walk out of Herod's prison. So what did he do? He saw some of his friends to come to prison and visit him. He said, will you do me a favor and go make sure. I just want to really make sure that I did everything right. Go ask Jesus if he's really the Messiah. He's really the one that I'm supposed to have run the way ahead of. And then come back and tell me. And Jesus went and told him, said, go back and tell him what you see here. Don't tell him what I say because he'll think that is hearsay. Or don't go back and tell him what you think. Go back and tell him what you see. People are being healed. People are giving up the blindness and their deafness and their walking and being uh, lives that are changed. That's a work that only God can do in a life. Amen? Then we have the in Acts the sixth chapter, we ran out of disciples that could cover all the work that need to be done. So they got together and they kind of appointed a few extras to take care of the widows and the ones that needed other work other than what the apostles were doing. One of those guys that got elected, his name was Stephen. And Stephen went around preaching the truth as he knew it. He knew the Old Testament probably as well as any of us would know it or maybe even as much as Paul would have known the Old Testament. He got up and preached it. But when you preach in the wrong crowd, and they've got doubt in their heart, they're going to stand up against you and have problems with that. So here he is, and yet he was stoned to death for the truth he stood for. And even as he was being stoned to death, in Acts the 7th chapter, verse number 60, he said, Lord, don't lay this to their charge. Forgive them, Lord. They don't know what they're doing. They're just crazy bunch of guys. Amen? We need to get the doubt out at all costs. Amen? Stephen didn't doubt why he was being stoned. But he did know that he had told them the truth and he was standing for the truth and at any cost he wanted to be in the truth. See, God will make up the difference if we put our full faith in the work he wants us to do and in the end, heaven is forever. Amen. Amen? The short time we're given on earth will be well spent in faith rather than in doubt. Let's get the doubts out. Let's move them away. Let's stand for God. Let's be the people God wants us to be. 
and be strong and true for him. And remember, he never said it'd be easy, just worth it.